Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who zarred so zarry, he zarred himself to death. <laughs> I am the Adam Glastant. Oh, man. Zarring. I mean, you can zarring. just zar yourself Zarring's straight to an early grave. That's all I'm saying. Like, It's it's true. When you're, when you're not a good czar. Um, I mean, you're not, it's not even about being a possibly. good czar. It's about czarring too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's the argument the movie's making that essentially the reason the Russian Revolution happened is because the czar czarred too hard. Because <laughs> he was a dumbo who pulled the, pulled the Russia-loving uh, defense troops, uh, had to perform a parade for him far from the Russian front. Uh, and but yeah. the the thing about it, know. right, is everybody who's involved, it, like the movie presents a world where, like, all the people other than the czar are like, "Well, but what can we do? We've got to let the czar czar. <laughs> right. I guess we'll just right. lose the war." It's it's very silly. Uh, it's all I so mean, silly. To be fair, that is that is actually how an absolute monarchy works. But, I, um... I I understand that, but like within within where we need to always be careful to not present too simplistic views of how re- absolute monarchies <laughs> right. actually work in the sense that like oftentimes there are bumpers in place that will stop the monarch from i don't know right. just immediately losing the war for no fucking reason <laughs> Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon real quick. It's patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode. You get to vote on what that bonus episode is going to be. You get access to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes. It's really a lot of content for a dollar, actually. It uh, is a lot of content. And special, coming up, uh, you're not going to have a lot of time to hear this episode <laughs> and join in everything. But we are uh, uh, currently on the Patreon running a vote on what... Uh, what movie from the first hundred Criterion films we're going to revisit for our tenth anniversary show? Unbelievable! Uh, airing in two Blockbuster. weeks. Blockbuster. Been doing this for so long. Uh, over sixty episodes over on that Patreon because we have been doing it for a while. We do one a month, January through November, and then our holiday special is uh, in December, and that goes out to everybody. And also, no one gets to vote on it because we like to surprise people <laughs> yeah. with the holiday. We we go out of our way to make sure the holiday uh, episode is as. <laughs> interesting of an experience as possible yeah it's yeah it's always a, a movie that incidentally takes place at christmas where christmas is not actually important to the plot of the movie whatsoever but still uh the movie takes place at christmas for some reason uh so yeah we've had fun with that and you've you know you can hear the holiday specials without those are all publicly available so so go dig through and you can see that stuff I mention it mostly because next week's our holiday yeah. special, and we're very excited. So about, we've got a kind of a back-to-back uh, thing going right on. Out. It's going to go holiday special, and then yeah. like anniversary uh, special. It's it's yeah yeah and then, wild. Yeah, last episode of twenty twenty two is our holiday special. First episode of twenty twenty three is our tenth anniversary, and we're rolling. It's going to be fun. Ten Unfortunately, that breaks life. up. Yeah, that breaks up our uh, our box set of Stronberg films, but uh, yeah, he can handle it. But it'll work. Sternberg can handle it. That's true. That dollar, as I said, gets you the bonus episodes, gets you the vote. Uh, a little above that, $5, uh, 
for folks who can afford to support us a little bit more, want to uh, want to make sure we continue on this long journey. Uh, we'd like to thank those folks on air, and thank you so much to our current five dollars supporters: Eric Coronado, Andrew Jarrett, Chris Otto, and Stephen Goldmeyer. Yes, thank you so much. A bit above that, we do something that's pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and mail off once a month a personalized thank you note. Also, like to thank those supporters on air. So thank you to everybody at our $10 and above mark. Uh, Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, Patrick Yako, Nina Bojnak, and Jason Westhaver. Thank you all. So grateful to have you guys on supporting us. Some of you uh, supporting us for nearly nearly the 10 years we've been at this. Uh, Been listening since very early on uh, and supporting us. And we're so grateful for, for everybody on that. If you want to see those postcards or buy old postcards without committing to that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion there. And uh, yeah. And also maybe a t-shirt. Maybe you want a t-shirt. Yeah. There's only one, but you could have <laughs> there's, it. There's one t-shirt. It is one t-shirt. It is the holiday card from last year. With Pat put a lot of work into reformatting <laughs> the art to make it work on a t-shirt <laughs> for a special request. I basically had to remake uh, the whole card, actually, as it turned yeah. out. But it's fine. Yeah, it's I'm happy good. with it. It is delightful. So you can head over to Redbubble and check out that T-shirt, too, based on the Long Kiss Goodnight postcard that we did last year. Uh, Yeah. Thank you to everybody who has purchased anything from Redbubble, everybody who's been supporting us on Patreon, and a special thanks to you for listening. Well, Pat, we are uh, in our second film of a box set of films by Josef von Sternberg. Uh, This week's bonus material, I don't know how I've missed this before, I thought Joseph von Sternberg had renamed himself Joseph von no, Sternberg. No, uh, no, but no. But it turns out, turns out he did it while he was in abstention, basically. Yeah. Jonas Sternberg was out of the country, and and the studio he worked for rebranded him. It's amazing, von Sternberg, uh, without without consulting him, which is very silly. Uh, but yeah, it's a box set of three. We watched uh, of his silence films, by the way. A box set of three of his silence films. We watched Underworld last week, and this week it's The Last Command from 1928. Uh, yeah. It's it's very <laughs> much about the Russian movie. Revolution. This is, this is an it is It is a version of the Russian it. Revolution that that isn't not just inaccurate, but actually functionally makes no sense. Like, right. if you try to right. follow along, you're like, wait a minute, like, huh? Like, what's right. happening now? I don't... I I will allow, for for the sake of narrative, the uh, the pushing together of the February and October revolutions. Right. Okay. They both happened in 1917. That's fine. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's not... Yes, to... yes. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is a world of the Russian Revolution where the czar falls and the Bolsheviks come to power uh, basically overnight, right. uh, which is not how it historically happened. Um, there were a few months. Right. And it's also just a, a weird happening. sort of like amalgamation of like all the different forces involved into two like right. kind of nondescript right. blocks yeah. that don't make a lot of sense. This, this, this movie, not a, okay. Sternberg, Sternberg never wanted to make a point in any right. movie. This is a thing he was adamant. And, adamantly and in some against. of the and Sternberg, in some of the bonus episodes, almost angrily yeah. denies the idea that they have any yeah. message. A, it's like I would send a telegram if a I wanted crazy, to send a message. God damn it! 
yeah, a crazy thing about Sternberg is, as as Pat just said, in in from the from the horse's mouth, uh, Sternberg does not believe movies have the ability to send a message. It is wild. He does believe, he does believe art does. Uh, and he differentiates between fine art literature uh, as categories of things that can have a political message and film, which is an insane thing for a man making the films he's Yeah, making. well, and you know, the uh, thing about it is, I think is, <coughs> I, you know, we haven't seen all, a lot of his catalog. Um, I don't know how many films yeah. he made overall. Um I feel like it. It is gotta. It like, but it's like, you know, the thing about it is, is it's actually like I want to keep giving him excuses, but he's like, well, yeah. you know, he's a band of his of his era or whatever. But like, he is a person who was co- concurrently working with Charlie fucking Chaplin, a person <laughs> right, who right. in art, like, yeah. without cannot be denied, was making art, like physical art, and yeah. you're just like, yeah. oh, this this is an art. It's such a weird thing for a director a to decide. Message. It's so strange. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The idea the idea that like like I don't even care about the messaging aspect of that. His his seemingly insistence that films are not art is really really what it gets down to brass tacks because that's hinged on the on the message part. But if he doesn't believe film if he believes art can have a message and he doesn't believe films can have a message, ergo right, yeah. he doesn't believe Yeah, he films never are actually art. comes out right. and says it. In fact he earlier on in the same interview implies that film is an art but he does it in such a way yeah. that sort of feels like he doesn't necessarily buys it but like everybody says it now so he just has to say it right, right. it's really right. fast it's a very yeah. fascinating interview number one okay i know we should be talking about the movie but the interview is yeah. fascinating because this is the most cantankerous person i've ever seen interviewed in a movie like <laughs> for, very... for one of our movies he really is he will not agree to any statement that Swedish interviewer says. Straight up. Anything yeah. he says, well, like, no, uh, that's incorrect. That's not what happened. It's like, okay. He's not He's not exactly the most cantankerous because he is just as cantankerous as that uh, BBC interview with John Ford we watched that's for true. the stagecoach and I, and Yes, that is true. You, you're uh, not wrong. I, but like, it's yeah. been a while since we've watched an interview with a creator who's just yeah. like, almost angry that he's being interviewed and like yeah. doesn't want right, to deal right. with it and is like actively arguing with the with the interviewer about like i think meaningless it, points yeah i think it's also just and this was true of the ford one too that these interviews are happening much later in their lives true. so that swedish tv interview we're referencing is from 1968 right uh, but bear in mind he's not like an uh, old old man in 1968 right like no. he's not like ancient or something you know what i mean like he's not a 90 year old he's right i mean he's 74 which is not young necessarily but like he clearly has all of his faculties about him he's just right really unhappy of what the industry's decided is true about the way he made film right yeah um also i really love that the 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 interviewer in the introduction to the Swedish TV series uh, points out that he has all of his faculties about him. Is <laughs> right, yes, yes, yeah. But, but good. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so, so yes, he's just angry, angry that he's being interviewed. Yeah, that people like, like him, mad about basically. it. Basically. Like you flew and me think, all the way to Sweden for this shit? Like, I don't know. For, for, Sternberg, for Sternberg, it honestly makes sense because if he doesn't, if he doesn't consider the films he made as true art... To be recognized 
uh, as an artist for a thing that you never believed in to begin with. Yeah, I guess so, uh, right? Is, uh, but like, is annoying. But it's also right? like it is. It is. Yes, I suppose so. But like at the same time, like, what were you doing then? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously every. If it is true of any director we've ever talked about, every frame is a painting in a Sternberg yeah. film. Uh, I think it was especially true in Underworld. I think it's true of aspects of this one. Not, I don't, I don't know about every frame. Yeah, I don't know one. about this one, but like, um, you know, yeah. I wonder yeah. if it's just because like the he he's got to be well aware that the stories he tell he's telling are kind of stupid. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and I Maybe. wonder if that's where some of it comes from is that he wasn't in the right time and place with the right writing staff to get like really impactful storytelling he's doing all the work visually yeah, without maybe me. i don't know because like I, I don't know i mean he's also apparently an at was an avid art like he also feels like maybe he spins tall tales quite a bit throughout the interview he claims at one yeah. point to have had the largest modern art collection in all of america at one point i'm like i don't think that was ever true dude i'm sorry that's <laughs> I I know you want to like kind of give us your bona fides, but that it's basically impossible that that is true. Like I just don't believe you. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, who knows? Whatever. Well, I just Maybe. mean like unless he was obscenely wealthy, that's just not going to be true. I mean, there was probably a point where no one in America owned a Picasso yet. And Picassos weren't super expensive yet, and maybe he bought. Maybe right, he bought but one. you. What, I don't know. Within Picasso's lifetime, were Picassos expensive? I really have no but, idea. But also, what I mean, um, just from the standpoint, is that like the amount of time that that would be true would be infinitesimal because modern art would have. If he caught on to modern art, somebody who's super wealthy also caught on to modern art at the exact same time. He's trying to tell us about himself, and he tells us about himself in a very funny way that just feels like. Yeah, I don't know. Well, okay, he is he is obviously a cantankerous individual because we have talked about, we have talked already about uh, him being a cantankerous uh, person on set. He views he views actors in the same way as he views props, right? Basically, that they are they are a thing to be used to tell the story, not. Uh, not entities among the two. Well, but, but it also starts to track when you start to consider that maybe he doesn't consider what he's doing art. Then, like you sort of get into this, like, right. well, if everything about this is utilitarian, then so are the the actors too. They're not artists; they're yeah. just yeah. utilities. And and with this with this movie in particularly, co-star William Powell uh, hated working with Sternberg so much that by the end of this movie, he had his contract rewritten. To say he would never work under Sternberg and again. We, you know what we kept uh, running into though is we keep everything. I I the, I did not watch the one the making of. Um, I I wanted to the making the one that you watched oh, last the, week. The Underworld. I just one there were so yeah. those two bonus features together amounted to a whole other movie. So I was just like okay, I can't do this. Right. Um. But, um, again, in both of the bonus features I did watch this week, his female lead actresses his lead actresses seems to have again and who knows if it's just like social pressure and stuff for them just to say nice things about people who could like taint their career yeah. but like all seem to imply that like he was really helpful to their careers and that like he they seem to have liked working with him it, it's yeah. really an interesting dichotomy there that um you know one can imagine why yeah, that might happen i don't know of course like you you can figure that out. It doesn't take a genius right. to figure that stuff out. But like, 
you know, it's right. just there, very interesting to think about. Yeah, there are social reasons why why that might be said. Um, but yeah, he's he's an interesting individual nonetheless. Uh, I wouldn't want to work week, with him. I will say that. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't want to work with him either. This week, the movie is uh, also just cantankerous in that in that it both it both sides the Russian Revolution, right? Uh, in such a but, such a weird way. Yeah, not even in the way you would expect them to, really. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's bad except for our general, who just loves Russia too much. That's yes, his only the, crime. the cousin of, of the much. czar, notoriously the only person yeah. in Russia who loves Russia. Apolitically loves Russia too. Right, just yes. loves the concept of Russia, not not any individual Russian. State, but to be fair, he, he specifically understands Russia. that Tsarist Russia is real Russia, and anything that happens to that right. would be the end of Russia. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh, which is, I mean, probably fair to a Russian general in 1917. But uh, you know, we don't get. Well, the weird thing is, like, even the even our character who is actively taking revenge on this man, uh, recognizes that he, the general's love of Russia is somehow unique. Yeah, right? it's really kind of it, it. When it's interesting because we are talking about the fact that it both sides the Russian Revolution, but like, it yeah. very clearly both sides, but with a heavy lean towards czarism, right? Like, yes, it. This is a. This is a movie that thinks that Tsarist Russia is fine, but the Tsar was dumb. Right, right, yes, yeah. <laughs> which is a, which is a funny thing, to, a, a funny contradiction to keep in your head, uh, essentially yeah. at any time. Um, and also, basically, doesn't name who the revolutionaries are. They're never actually named. Right. We don't identify <laughs> the, the opposing named. force at all. Even even in the scene where we see Trotsky, Lenin, and Stalin all in a room together. I think they're identified as dangerous liberals or something at one point by him, and I think that's all he says. <laughs> right. And that and that that cut to the back room of them is is introduced as like uh, Anonymous men in back they're... rooms plotting the future of Russia, I believe is what they say, almost verbatim. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's very silly. Um or the future of the Russian people. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it, yeah. Maybe There's a very says, an implication that in the Russian case. people are are not involved in any way, in any capacity, in what's happening right. here. That that these people are not the Russian, the Russian. Well, exactly. People. Well, and like the um, thing is, which, is like there's not really an implication that the Tsar side is the Russian people either. It's a platonic right, Russia. Right. The two groups of people are fighting over using soldiers who I guess aren't Russians. Is sort of the the sort of the the takeaway from that. Um, it's very odd. Uh, understanding of a revolution frankly i gotta i gotta be honest as we get the title card that introduces us to the anonymous back room where people are plotting where uh anonymous people are plotting the uh the future of russia and our first image in that room is a caricature close-up of trotsky's face feels a little anti-semitic that was my okay so Uh, i also had that immediate knee-jerk reaction and i just sort of decided like there's so much wrong with the movie. I was just going to right. I don't kind of right. I I kind of well, okay. Given the time and the place, it wouldn't be a wild assumption to say that 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 some people who are involved in the movie might make the the that classic. Oh, the 
communism is a Jewish plot kind of dealio. You know what I mean? Right, but that's 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 never overt text, no. and it's barely subtext. That is the only moment where. But it does feel that I I also like had that. the same knee jerk reaction too, especially since the yeah. group that is and, that is plotting this future is not named. Yeah, and it doesn't. It it certainly doesn't want to absolve him of of this happening, but. Sternberg himself is from a Jewish right. family. Right. Yeah, no, so I would not... assume that would be more of a writer yeah. thing than anything else. And and honestly speaking, <clears throat> yeah. I my assumption honestly is that the reason why the the opposing force is not named is because we probably have the equivalent of a sort of of a don't say communism in any of your movies built kind of thing going on. Right. right. Where you're just not even allowed to use that yeah. word. Uh Yeah. Well, the 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 pro, uh, the, the the proletariat in general, in this movie, is shown to be violent drunkards. Yeah, basically. yeah, no, this is a movie that does not, in fact, love the Russian people. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> prone to, vi- like, drunken, violent, prone to, like, just sway wherever right. the wind blows, very... Yeah. Like, there's an implication that to, they could to... be convinced to do anything. Right, and shooting a man without even thinking about it, and... uh Shooting an ally without even thinking about it, uh, yeah, turning on one another at the drop of the hat, and somehow steering a train off the middle of a bridge I, because you got drunk. That okay? <laughs> so I needed to talk to you about that because I was like, "Is I rewatched the like five minute lead into that like four times? I could not. Is there any indication yeah. that like, or is it just you're so drunk you don't know how to drive a train? A thing that yeah." Yeah. By and large, drives itself in as far as not like, you know, as long as you don't, you're not going to yeah. like, falling off in the middle it, of a bridge is a weird thing to have happen, is what I'm saying. Yes. Yes. And that's that's the weird physics part, is that he falls off, the, the train falls off <laughs> Which the Which also causes the, the bridge to collapse. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, before, like, I think even our last shot of the conductor drinking and being tired is like 10 minutes before the accident. Happens. Right, right, right. Like, well, we kind so. of, we, honestly, my, I did not like the train. Like, the movie yeah. is not great before that, but like, once we get in and around the train, it gets stupider and stupider as movies yeah. go. And, uh, yeah. And also, it's very easy to lose. Like, I don't know who, we start to get into a kind of a mess where, like, I don't know the geography, I don't know the people, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck is happening on this train, Adam. Right. Up until then, I can right. follow the plot pretty well, and then the train just feels like a nightmare that I eventually we get out of, because then we go back to the modern day. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I I think Natalie as a character is just bad. No, yeah, totally. Uh, I agree. I completely all, all agree. Over. She's not uh, meant to be a person. Yeah. Um, she's just meant to be like, like she, she has no, she's as fickle as the, the fucking caricature of the Russian people themselves. I, I think that Natalie makes sense if we do understand sort of meta understand, uh, that this entire flashback sequence is inside Sergius's head. That's true. That's true. So we are seeing his point of view. I don't know if the movie does a good job of of of. of I don't think. That I don't think premise. the movie's actively trying right. to do that. I feel like but what we see think, in the flashback is meant to be factual. Yeah, I think. 
I think the movie, I, I think that I can say that about the movie as a way of feeling better about what the movie has to say in its historical text. Right. <laughs> Flashback portion. Um, and it would make sense in that. But the movie generally believes that Sergius is good. Uh, yeah, I mean, not necessarily invaluable, but 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 yeah, that he is good. a good man who loves Russia is the is the premise here. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I mean, the movie itself provides us with enough text to work with to adequately, yeah. like from our perspective, say no, sir. Like he is not a he is neither Sergius is not a good man or and does not love Russia. But uh, that's going to be yeah. our perspective on it. Uh, we don't live in right. whatever nineteen so twenty eight in America. Yeah. So an interesting thing about uh, about the background of this movie is that it's based on a real person, a real guy, kind of maybe based on a real guy, <laughs> kind of sort of maybe uh, a Russian general named uh, Theodore. Lajinsky, uh, who Lubitsch had met uh, in Ernst Lubitsch, the, the film director Ernst Lubitsch, had met this guy in Russia and then ran across him in New York where he had uh, fled the revolution and started a restaurant in New York. And then something happened in New York and this guy actually ended up working as an extra in Hollywood and Lubitsch told this guy's story to a playwright screenwriter uh, of Hungarian descent called Lajos Biro and Biro apparently decided it would be a great movie and uh, yeah um, <laughs> somehow that that's not the movie that got made though of Lubitsch working with uh, Bureau to make this. And instead, Sternberg gets story credit and and the the complicated pre-production history of who wrote this story and where it came from. Uh, and Sternberg certainly reworked whatever Bureau might have framed the story as to begin with. Um, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So, so there is that, I guess seed of truth to to the background here and you know i i don't care about a russian general who has been <laughs> deposed i mean i will agree that as an as a as an anecdotal story it is an interesting it's funny like it's a thing that like even now it would be a fascinatingly like i don't care care in the sense that like yeah. i have no sympathy it's, for this person as a person yeah. It's just it a, is, it's an interesting story on its surface. It is ironic. And I think I think that the movie's opening section uh really leans into the yeah. irony of it without being overbearing about it or or putting it out. The uh the way that the Russian army for the film within the film is put together with the general uh showing up as well is uh I thought for a moment that this was a movie that was going to try to tell us that all of our boogeymen about what Russia is 
exists in America already under capitalism. Right. Yeah. No. When yeah. when the title card when the title card calls it the American or the Hollywood breadline. Yeah. No. I thought I kind of thought so too. People, I thought it was gonna. I yeah. kind of was like, oh, is this movie gonna be like way more political than I than I planned it to be? Like in yeah. my head. And as it turns out, yeah, yeah, it turns yes, out. but not in the way we thought. It turns out yes, yeah. but in a bad well, way. Well, the thing about yeah. it is, right, is that like, the in order to make the movie that you and I that I mentioned, I thought would be interesting, you're not going to spend eighty yeah. percent of the movie just telling the story of the Russian Revolution, right? And I suspect that right. other version probably didn't spend that much time on that. It's probably more about his like experiences yeah, in Hollywood as an outsider. This is not yeah. about that because he only we only are only They're, in Hollywood for like a total of maybe fifteen minutes of the movie. Given what we know about Sternberg, I don't know why he would have introduced that element, but I don't imagine that Lubitsch's version of this story and then therefore Biro's version of this story had a love triangle as a central. No, premise. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, so. probably not a love triangle. And again, probably not, I assume that that story had very little Russian Revolution in it. Maybe a couple flashbacks or something, but yeah. like. The idea that you would make a movie about this person and what you would actually do is just try to tell the story of the Russian Revolution is a weird idea. It's just it, it's just a weird thing yeah. to do. Yeah, and the I, I don't know the idea that this guy has PTSD, but it's not actually about any of the terrible things he did as a Russian war general. Yeah, he got PTSD uh, from watching his, his just... girlfriend careen off of a train track. Yeah, I I yeah. Yeah, for no, for, 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 what, for no what has physical to be reason. engineering problems on the bridge, like it just has to be. Yeah, yeah. So really, we've looped back around yeah. because then it's Maybe. not the Russian revolutionaries' fault anymore. Anyway, it's whoever built the fucking bridge, which was right. presumably not a Russian revolutionary. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe that's the film trying to suggest the multifaceted nature of the Russian Revolution. In it was that, actually the people uh, versus Russian engineers. The. Well, the Bolsheviks, the Bolsheviks have this idea of kid. Well, no, the drunken proletariat had this idea of uh, kidnapping the general and had succeeded in doing that. But uh, the the revolutionary forces, the Bolsheviks under Trotsky or whoever, uh, also in the background had this other idea that they were just going to murder the general by derailing his right. train. But bear in mind, bear in mind, that, like the, the 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 in this movie again, because the proletariat have no. So like internalized self will right. whatsoever. They're just they're doing it because no. she like Natalie and uh, uh, Natalie suggests it. Yeah, they're doing it because someone. Hey, yelled. let's take him to <laughs> Petrograd like and yeah. and execute him there, and murder him there, and like they just like and yeah, like, that sounds like, like a Natalie's... great plan. We're all really drunk already. Let's do it. I. Yeah, I said Natalie's character didn't make any sense and then didn't really elaborate on it. Natalie, when we first meet Natalie. Uh, the general himself calls her uh, the like the, names her as the yeah the head most of the dangerous revolution. revolutionary in Russia. It's not yeah. her boy, not the most it's, dangerous it's not, woman. Yeah, yeah, I forget exactly what not, they say, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Her boyfriend no. isn't Absolutely identified most, really. Yeah, right. It's also worth noting yeah. that the director <laughs> that we is directing him at the end, it, it, you know, as a fun little plot point, is also the director in the of the movie he's in. Yeah, it's the boyfriend. Yeah, it's 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 but like uh, he's given almost no personality. It's very right. strange. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. He's barely in the flashback, so that by the time we come back around and 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 
uh, he says, I've been waiting 10 years for this. It's like, oh, yeah, wait, yeah. Why? What? Wait, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. You have to like yeah. really like strain yeah. your like your your brain to be like, oh, right. Yeah. OK. Yeah. This is because you disappeared like five minutes This is not a movie in. that plot wise holds yeah. our hand. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's it's just very and, it's all very silly. But Natalie Natalie's position is the most dangerous revolutionary. But then she is completely completely placated with uh, caviar and uh, and well, champagne. And, and and let's be clear uh, here: the thing that really wins her over is the fact that he on the phone implies that the czar is wrong for putting his men in danger, yes. which indicates yes, that he yes, loves Russia yes. so much. Now, mind you, right. does he stop the czar from doing that thing? Does he refuse the order? No. no. He just implies that this is a bad order. And she's like, well, he's a good man. Yeah. He loves Russia. I, therefore, right. I love him. Which, which not only causes causes her to fall in love with him, and and for him to respond to that by calling her, you're not just my prisoner oh, I know of it's the greatest anymore. line ever. You're also my prisoner That's, of love. That, that should have been my answer. Uh, That's really what I, I, I fucked up. Yes. Man. Maybe we'll re-record yeah. it again. Uh, which, which then has her putting in, putting into place. Apparently, retroactively, we learn this that she has put into place the most convoluted plan to save his life, uh, in the well, history and, and of like, plans. Is a plan, um, but doesn't seem to be like it's a plan. But then in the end, it's just I'm gonna just jump off the train. Right, right. It's all. <laughs> And also, there's no there's no actual way she planned ahead for right. any no, of this, absolutely right? Not. So, so like, yeah, she's she's yeah, her in the moment on the train, she has decided to save him. But in any individual moment of the train, she is not plotting. No, like she is happily part of the party that we see taking place on the train, disconnected from uh, from her plan to to save the general later. Like this is not. Uh, it might have been interesting. If in that flashback, which was already way too long, uh, we had focused a little more on her actual conniving here and and proved that she was some sort of genius without just right. telling well, us. Well, and you know, also it's would, worth noting. That, that would prove that she had been worthwhile to the revolution to begin in, with. In the end, what we end up with is a really fascinating thing where, like, I mean, fascinating in the sense that, like, it makes those statements, but, like, she is rendered as the most sort of generic sort of misogynistic view of a woman that's humanly possible in the end right because like even and once she because once she like is quote-unquote in love with the general or even maybe before she's like all in on the 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 generals and the russian like the czarist forces like they're big like lavish like crazy parties that like are very clearly what her up until five minutes ago revolution was partially about right like she's like they're like lifting her in the air and she's like dancing like she's on tables and shit and like they're eating caviar and drinking champagne it's like wow that was a quick turn yeah the idea that the the most dangerous revolutionary in all of russia uh is is completely placated by one introduction to yeah like just immediately (laughs) collapses under the weight of like how good this lifestyle is uh yeah just trying to buy a bunch of like uh, real so, like real real weird loser types too. It's just real like all his uh, his minions. Yeah, it's yeah. Scary. I mean, so it so it gets us it gets us to the revolutionaries. Or it's all out of jealousy. Uh, it gets us to uh, 
I don't know. She's she's positioned as a as a revolutionary who would have uh who maybe just hates the czar so much and that's all our revolutionaries. They just hate the czar. They they love Russia too. Uh not as much as the general, of course. Nobody loves but, Russia as much as the general. But they just hate the um, czar. And the fact that he the fact that the general loves Russia so much and also maybe kind of hates the czar. Uh that makes him that makes him the best. I don't it's <laughs> and we just we just we throw just as much support uh as we have for Stalin and Lenin and Trotsky as we would for a uh a coup where this general ends up as the actual highness uh that they keep calling right. him the entire time. Uh it's yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, it is the it is very very flimsy story writing. Like to the point where it kind of undoes yeah. the work to my to be honest to me like i i understand that like we're in it kind of just for sternberg's like visual skills but a story can be so bad right. that it that it makes that hard to do right and this one isn't even as visually stunning yeah. as the other one we've have watched so far any of the other ones we've watched yeah. so far well it's it's visually i think i think it's visually interesting in a different way underworld had a lot of very still right. images of, of movement and and the camera like very far away from the action like with some of the the prison escape sequence or uh so that we can get the the full scope right of the the matte paintings and the the models for the prison stuff whereas this one the camera's very dynamic and some very interesting There's ways some neat of the, shots of the i will give it that panning panning down rows of people i think particularly when we come back to the mana you know the current day uh, and we're on the film set, and the camera pans down the line of extras in their military garb as the assistant director marches the general out into that line. And then we get sort of a, a whole 360 turnaround to see William Powell as our director on set and then follow him back down the line. I think that's a really neat no, dynamic No, I mean, there, are some neat, there are, there's uh, also some tracking shots in this that are really pretty neat where, like, yeah. uh, Sternberg uses, the, uh, like, the 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 actual like foreground to like obscure things and then we yeah. move around it right that's all very one, neat one shot that i really love as well where the camera is stationary is uh the train going through the town where the proletariat where the revolution is happening currently of uh of the attack on the train where we get the train driving through and we get some foreground stuff of shadowed people we get the fighting on the train taking place uh, and we get the crowds right. in the background still cheering of this of this you know stacked plated shot that's really really right. interesting. I mean, yeah, I just uh, I I kind of run into the problem though of like can a can a story be so lackluster that like as a whole yeah. right like I mean yes oh, the, it visually can. it is it is exciting. I think I like his other visual style better personally. Yeah, I think that's fair too. Uh, but like uh, this is neat. It's doing a lot of neat stuff. But can it be so insanely let down by the <laughs> the story that it's just like, oh, like we're like a hundred percent just watching this movie for the visuals because there's nothing rewarding about the movie itself. Uh, yeah. Like, well, I mean, that's every CGI blockbuster. Well, no, that's that's so. true. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, but like, I'm also not gonna. I hope I'm not watching those on the Criterion Collection. Like. 
you know, right. I, I, I get they want to make something. a Sternberg box set, and it's like, well, this one has a lot of cool visuals in it, so we're gonna we put it in there to show you like what he's capable yeah. of. I get all that. It's just like, well, and you know, it's it's his first working with Emil Jennings, who he would work again with in Blue Angel a few years later, uh, for uh, with Dietrich as well, um, which is really probably Sternberg's most famous film. Uh, so, you know, there's that aspect and yeah, I mean, visually, yeah, visually it is a very stunning movie. Uh, everything about the story is very dumb yeah. and, and it's even dumber like underworld, uh, is an innovative plot because it's really the first gangster right. movie period. Right. Well, and and um, you get next, a lot of dynamic. Like it's simplistic because, like it, you know, partially because you know you're working with a lot of constraints about like your your yeah. dialogue and stuff. But like it feels like there's a fair amount of death in Underworld, right? Like like people are like interacting yeah. with each other in really interesting kind of dynamic ways. Well, yeah, but ultimately the conflict in Underworld is also a love triangle. It is. Uh, that is true. It, but like, but it evolves in a fun way. That like, by the yeah, time we get to the end of Underworld, it's not really about the love triangle right. anymore at all. It's got the love right. triangle. It's got the loyalty aspects. It's a con- complicated story. It's got a lot going on. It's got the, it's got the power dynamics. The the power struggle between Bull and, uh, and the other, uh, yeah, the other Buck. gang boss, Buck. Yes, was his name. Thank you. Um, yeah. Next week, it's. It's a pretty straightforward melodrama, plot-wise. Next week, there's not even really a villain. Next week, there's a guy who no, does a bad thing. The villain point, is society, really man. Yeah. The villain yeah. is society, man. Well, yeah, but Where's even here? that one, like the one we're gonna do next week, even yeah. because we've already watched it, as if it's not obvious, yeah. uh, it is still more interesting and dynamic than this one. Yeah. In terms this of just sort of just... like this is oh like like straight line and from it's... beginning to end. Her falling in love with the general doesn't make any sense. Um, the 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 love connections in last week's movie at least made sense, uh, right. and I felt like I felt like our female lead in the last movie had dynamism. dynamism. She had uh, right. agency. Uh, this one, I don't really feel like Natalie has that much agency. Uh, even the decisions we see her making, where I think, oh, that's exciting. She's showing agency where she jumps off the train and grabs the flag and starts waving it. Uh, that's all revealed to be in service. Right. It all is, it's all in service of like the saving him. It's very, yeah. 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 I mean, and it was her choice to do that, I guess, but uh, yeah, it just doesn't feel right. And then, and then it is this love triangle setup where presumably, uh, in as much as we have a textual motivation for Leo for his revenge plot, it's not just the fact that this guy was a Russian general. It's that he knows this Russian general was involved with Natalie's death. Uh, right. And, and, and even that's not paid off super well at the end because then he has right. a change of, of mind when he has yeah. a heart attack. It's very silly. And then, well, it lays on the silliness in the end in that, uh, we get the general PTSD. Leo Leo browbeats this guy. He doesn't even really browbeat him. Leo puts him in a position where his PTSD causes a heart attack, and then feels bad about it immediately. And we get the Pieta Death of Christ pose, and someone even yeah. puts a spotlight on them. Yes. And it's, 
it is overtly silly at that point, right? But it's played all for the drama, and the movie doesn't want us to feel like it's silly. Uh, yeah. So it's you know. Well, the, like, the and like, where even general starting at the beginning, like, in that it's, it's also worth noting that even you know we mentioned a little bit, but at the beginning, right, like when he's dealing with the other extras, yeah. they're all just directly analogous to the proletariat, the the people of right. Russia. They're all drunken, slovenly assholes who are, like, torturing right. him for, like, no conceivable reason. We have no reason why they would be doing this to him. Yeah. Like, it doesn't right. make... They're just they bullying him for not, no conceivable reason. Right. And There's this old one, man who clearly has, like... You know, we're not going to call it necessarily PTSD, but clearly has, like, trauma or something that, like... Right. Why would you be mean to this person? There's no reason you would be mean to this person other than mean, just deciding you want to be mean to him. The old guy with the tick. Uh, and, yeah, he's got he's got a, a general's medallion or whatever it actually is, you know, the Iron Cross. Um, but, yeah, they're mean to him for no reason. And presumably, since this casting call has gone out to every Russian in Hollywood, which was a surprisingly large pile of, of pictures. Right. Uh, All dissatisfactory, but... Huge, yeah. yeah, um, and also with men and women in it, so it's not like it's not like Leo was going through that pile specifically looking for who was going to be right. the general. He was just going through it until he saw this. Picture. I, I am. Uh, I have to admit, though, I am fascinated by the notion that all people who found themselves in exile from Russia after the Russian Revolution all ended up in Hollywood. Yes, is yes. what it feels like. It's like the entire remnants of like the Czarist army just ended up yeah. in Hollywood. All right. trying to do and, bit parts in Hollywood. And these guys are being mean to him, not because they know who he is, but because uh, they don't think he's who he claims to be, right? But even right. even they don't know who he claims to be, right? They never... He just right. says they don't, like, it, it really... Their bullying feels apropos of nothing. It just sort of right. happens. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the the assistant director's bullying is to show that he doesn't, you know, the Hollywood apparatus does not know what they're talking about for historic. That's a that's a very Sternberg making fun of Hollywood thing. Uh, which... uh, in a movie that is also doing the thing that he is, cl- it's sort of yeah. got an Ouroboros thing going on here because right. that like this thing well, is he's definitely doing its own that tale. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know yeah. how how aware of how aware Sternberg is of how much his movie is factually incorrect like it's yeah i mean to a to a certain extent i think given what we talked about last week with sternberg's career up to this point uh sternberg making fun of an assistant director is just to make fun of an assistant director i think so So, yes i think more than anything yes yeah uh yeah so i don't know it's plot wise this leaves a lot wanting uh no one's motivations really make a lot of sense even retroactively um yeah the everyone who has revolutionary impetus even Sergius's revolutionary impetus of uh not uh not respecting his cousin the czar uh they're not explored or even verbalized in a way and yeah it's a silent film and we've got limited amount of text right and that's fine uh but yeah, it's just it's not shown, right? And and we told. and you know I it, it is a very limiting medium, but like also like we've seen that movies can do like a fuck right. ton with that very very tight right. the, the tight sort of verbal budget that they have like right and like for example, um, Underworld does a lot more 
yes. with a similar level of text, right? It does a lot. It conveys a lot of stuff with people's actions and and reactions to each other. Each other, like yeah. There's that Tag Gallagher visual essay on this attached to this that is that talks a lot about those like people's reactions, right? Like about like the furtive glances away, uh, yeah. people showing their like really telegraphing their emotions and what they're going through in a visual way really well. They use Underworld, he uses Underworld a lot for that. Yeah. Not as much of that in this. Right. Like, we're not conveying a lot of, like, really deep emotional internal turmoil because it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't... Nobody's going through anything in this movie. I don't... Like, the general's the same person at the end as he was at the beginning, like, as a person. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, because this is the story of how he became that person, right? But still, uh, I don't right, think Right, but it's... he's already that person right at the beginning, right? Like, he, he no values change for the general. He is yeah. this, quote-unquote, right. good, noble man right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like him falling in love with the revolutionary. It completely like changed it. her. It didn't change him at all. Right. Right, exactly. And, that, and that's, a, that's kind of a problem, right? Like, he goes through nothing. He goes through no... The only thing he goes through is is being torment, being well, very Christ-like in that in that sort of torture sense. Not Christ-like in the idea that, like, yeah, you know, at least at least in the Bible, Christ goes through some shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like this is like literally just a perfect person going from beginning to end, while the world just tortures him for like yeah an hour and a half. It's real, huh. yeah. Uh, but also a guy who uh, exists in a position where uh, it's not really torture. He's got he's got too much clout. Uh, yeah, especially at the beginning, right? For a majority of the movie, yeah. right? Like he could just he he's within the realm of power to like change things to make them the way he wants them to be. Yeah, of his own free will. Like I mean, he could just yeah. do it. Yeah. Like he has essentially one person above him in the entire apparatus of this entire country. Right. Well, presumably Rasputin would be mad, but uh. I mean, yeah, that's true, I guess. But like, I mean, you know, I you know, I've seen, I've read enough Hellboy comics to understand that, like, you know, that's you're mostly just dealing with dark magic there. Well, I guess uh, no, you're you're also right. I mean, unless Rasputin has has uh, resurrected, uh, he did die in December of 1916, so. Well, I mean, he's uh, he. We all know he's always been alive and always will. Right, be, right. right. I mean, he's yes. he's in a barrel or something. I don't know. I've I saw enough history documentaries on Rasputin when I was like twelve, like fourteen years old <laughs> on the History Channel. I have a very vague understanding of like what happened to Rasputin, and then you combine that with Hellboy comics, and it's just the most fucked up, confusing thing you could ever like yes. contain in your brain at the same time. Right. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, you know, this is. It's it's it is visually interesting. It's just that like, that's not. I'm not. It's not enough. And I'm just uh, not that much of a visual like. Right. I don't go to movies for that. Yeah. Well, Sternberg obviously, from what we've heard of Sternberg, what we've already talked about with Sternberg, Sternberg's interested in visual art, as right. as true art, right? But he's also. Interested in literary art as true art, right, right, and, and he and I doesn't don't know see why the he, dialogue of this as yeah. literary art. I doesn't. I don't see why he doesn't make that that leap to combine storytelling and image 
Does he think that I? We, he doesn't get into this. Presumably, he has to think that stage yeah. like performances are art, right? Like no one in 1930 is walking around saying, "Like yeah, like ba- like ballet, opera, and like stage performance are not art." Like that's just not yeah. that person. I don't think exists anymore, really, except for like maybe a couple weirdos. Yeah, and I think you know with with the other. Sternberg films we've watched, you know, his his actors are very emotive, and maybe it's maybe part of it is that for, you know, at least for the bookends of this movie, our main character is nearly catatonic, right? He's yeah, that's true, and that that's kind face. of ruining what kind of like what he can work with there, yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> William Powell always looks kind of like he's sneering, no matter what right, he's actually yeah. doing. <laughs> Uh, so there's not there's not a lot of change there. Um, you know, the assistant director is probably most the most emotive person in this movie. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and the and the bullies are fairly emotive at the right, beginning. Right, and right, right. Yeah, like, a bunch of side ca- characters. Yeah, a bunch of yeah, a bunch of borderline extras are very emotive. Yeah. And you know, the guy who steals Sergius's coat gets to be emotive for a little bit because he gets a death scene. So, right, right, yeah, that's true. That's true. He he gets to be a like a, a, a real snarky son of a bitch throughout the entire. He's like stealing yeah. coat and cigarettes the whole time. It's very, yeah, very. Um, the, like, there's these weird moments of like pseudo comedy like that in this yeah. movie too that are odd. Yeah, the tag Gallagher gets into it uh, a bit with this movie with the the cigarette as symbolism here. Yeah, um, which I think is worth worth looking at because. Gallagher makes a point in that, uh, you know, not that he's really making an overarching point so much as observations, but I think he is an accurate observation in that cigarettes here are power. And, you know, that's that's something the movie could have leaned into as material conditions, right, of the cigarettes being power, uh, because the proletariat just doesn't have access to those cigarettes. And that's why why the fact that this guy's got good tobacco is like enticing a lot of it. to Natalie. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's, it's something he has readily available to him. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when, I mean, it plays with it very briefly, right? She uses that as a decoy for her plan to shoot him. Right. And like, we cut to what is clearly a lavish display. Like the movie right. does tell, does, does tell us that like, well, this is ridiculous. It's just a giant fucking clear yeah. glass box full of cigarettes that like, Clearly, we've never seen anything like that in this film, right? He's got furs. He's got cigarettes. Like, the thing is, is that, like, you know, again, us being who we are, it just kind of makes me hate him more. So it's not really helping. But, like, I'm like, I'm like, no, shoot him. Do it right now. Shoot this son of a bitch right now. Yeah. I mean, because it only, it only serves to further undermine Natalie as a real person. Uh, Right. Exactly. (laughs) Or, or to paint all revolutionaries as. Again, just jealous just, of yeah. If resources. they is yeah, like exactly. It's it's which, I mean, yeah. Uh, the revolution is based on material conditions, but that's not what we mean, right? You know, right. So. Yeah. Like getting a couple cigarettes and some good like champagne one time yeah. is not like gonna like yeah. really uh, do sell it. I don't you think. Out. Um, not the most dangerous revolutionary in all of Russia. <laughs> right. Yeah. A, per- a person who is apparently, as far as we can tell, leading the revolution. Like yeah. number is like number three in command or something. It's which weird. would be which would be really great if they actually portrayed her as that, right? Uh, instead yeah. of just having uh, having Sergius say that and then it never being 
anything really yeah. again. You know, she she leads a crowd in a moment. Uh but, you know, it's not like anyone in that crowd knows who she is anyway. And then she right, becomes right, another yeah. guy's she becomes another guy's arm candy to facilitate the rest of her plan, right? So yeah, yeah it's, it's just it's very silly. Uh it's all very dumb. Uh and I don't know. It, I mean, this... but the cigarettes. I mean, the cigarette thing for him, uh, for Sternberg, does continue as as uh, Galler points out, like throughout all the films we watch. Like the cigarettes yeah, yeah. show up, it, showing show power and yeah, yeah, and, and, and like you know, as, a person's motivations and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah, and and here we also get the the cigar the assistant director has is is very phallic and overcompensating right. in in that explicit way, right? Uh, which is maybe a cheap gag in that he's a short person with a big cigar. And yes, also, it is a bit of it is a bit of a cheap yeah. gag. Yes, yeah, and the fact that the generals the general cigarettes when he's shown us have them are in better condition and are longer than the revolutionary cigarettes when we see them. Uh, yeah, when they even have them. Yeah, it, yeah. it's. I mean, it's very. Um, but like, you would want that to be a class message, and it's not. Right. Right. It's about right. who's like a better it's almost as like who's a better person. Right. They yeah. they're direct corollaries to goodness rather than like a metaphor for class conditions, which is a silly thing to do, honestly speaking. Yeah. A very silly implication that the, the person with the nicer stuff is the better person is a very like Yeah. Well and- welcome to second grade sort of like level of thinking, honestly yeah. speaking. And like, you know, with the with the train engineer, the fact that as soon as as soon as hierarchical society disappears, right, uh, all all society falls yeah, apart. Yeah, like a train no engineer will, would just say, "Ah, yeah. fuck it, I'm going to get drunk while I drive this yeah. train." Like it's no a will, wild thing to do. No one will do any actual work because uh, you know capitalism is the only motivation, which you know is isn't fair either because Tsarist Russia wasn't wasn't exactly a capitalist society, but. Right, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, yeah, that, that being true, but like, it's less even like capitalist motivation and more the like, oh, without the boot on everybody's neck, they'll just go right. fucking wild, right? Yeah, yeah, and that'll, everyone that'll is a wild maniac death. monster without the, without yeah. directly being stepped on right. by some sort of, yeah, which, authority yeah, outside of, outside of the patriarchy, everybody dies immediately, right? Too, their, their right. actions yeah. lead directly to their own deaths. Uh, yes, yeah, it's yeah, bad. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and there are moments, there are moments where we first encounter, uh, uh, Sergius in the flashback and his, his commanders where it feels like they're being presented as out of touch and bourgeois. Uh, but then ultimately once, once Natalie is brought into that fold, all of that stuff is given this shine of goodness that they deserve right, this right, for yeah. Being the it's almost who as, love, it's, love as if it's as if it's her most. perception of them or something, yeah. Um, and like they even get like comedy moments that like are kind of just like kind of gross and yeah, <laughs> like weirdly disingenuous. Like yeah. I don't know, like this because the same general who implies that the guy who's wearing his coat should be shot, kind of just jokingly allows his like pulls the door open so his general like his commanders could fall in and like be embarrassed right like right like this guy literally just said like 10 minutes before they're like oh you next time and like maybe he's quote unquote joking who knows but like 
is he though? He's pretty annoyed about the guy smoking his cigarettes and like wearing his his fur coat, right? Yeah. So the Anton Case essay that accompanies the release for this uh, opens with perhaps an explanation for why we don't connect with this movie okay. uh, by positioning this as first and foremost a star vehicle for Emil Jennings, who is already an internationally known Swiss actor who had been working in Germany until October 26 and had come to work for Paramount. And this was... This was a star vehicle for him. So it it functions as that. He is the star of this movie. Yeah, but like he, he could be a, like, yeah, but like it explains somewhat, but right, like, but a good movie could also be a star vehicle, right? Like, yeah, right. Like, well, you don't have to use a garbage movie for it. Uh, so he made six films for Paramount and, and maybe the five others were one of the five others was an actual good film, but they're all lost. So the last command is nice. the only one that that exists. Um, but yeah, uh, he did this and another film uh, he made uh, just prior to this called "The Way of All Flesh." Won him the very first Academy Award ever presented. Right. Uh, yeah. Not just he won the first Best Actor award, but also uh, because he was traveling to Germany, he he received special permission to receive the award first. So he was like before he left because he was going to be out of the country during the actual ceremony. So he was physically the first person to get an Academy Award as well. Uh, and then, and then physically the first person to the first winner of an Academy Award to skip the actual ceremony. Uh, so, nice. Really setting so a lot of good traditions good on him. right from the yeah, beginning. Yeah. Good on him for that one. Um, but yeah, uh, He's he's more or less catatonic in the first section. Uh, the bulk of the movie is the midsection, and he's obviously the star of that section. Uh, and he yeah. he acts very well. Um, you know, yeah, the, it's good. The problems the problems with this movie are plot, not acting. Really, right? No, uh, I, the acting. But I, I mean, the plot ruins some of the acting again because, yeah. like, for example, Natalie doesn't get a good. She. We know that Sternberg's female leads can give really good emotive performances and Natalie tries, but the movie is letting her down hard. Yeah. Um, there's no emotion. There's no emotional depth to display. Right. Right. He, he even is let down. Like ML is also let down in the sense that like this movie has less emotional depth than I am sure he is capable of doing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the fever pitch it reaches, as as his PTSD comes to a head in the final sequence. Um yeah, I mean that's that's interesting, you know, it's I don't I think it's a very blase uh portrayal of trauma. Uh you know, it's not it's not nuanced in really any way, but also, it's a silent movie from 1929. What am I expecting for that? Right. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, this is this is a you know this is a point in period where trauma like that was still called shell shock, and we didn't do anyone anything for any of those guys either. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, and in that sense, at least, I would say that, like, at least to a certain extent, it is it recognizes that 
Sergius is a character who is suffering. Yeah. Uh, but it seems to be more at the hands of the people around him than it is like the things right. he's been through. But like yeah, nonetheless, he is. And that is really, really a thing that I would love to for this movie to have leaned into more. Sergius is top of the pack in Russia and cannot survive in America. Right, right. And that he's, is that is that is by again, its nature. I suspect a that's condemnation probably of, what the first yeah. original draft of this script was probably about was probably more of a fish out of water type thing. Yeah. Than than a than a one hour long flashback to, to the Russian Revolution. I just can't believe that would be what they yeah. wrote. The fact that he can't get any work except for cheap labor, cheap day labor. Uh and that the day laborers are treated like conscripts. Uh and yeah, it's yeah. I mean, there's a lot of meat on that bone, right? There's a lot. There's a lot. so much meat that this movie is not at all interested in exploring. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Again, like I said at the top of the show, uh, the first five minutes of this make it seem like it's going to be a movie about how everything, uh, everything we've been told to fear of about the problems of Soviet Russia are in fact just already extant in capitalist america right, right. yeah uh, especially yeah and, and even if it doesn't lean into the sort of like yeah even without leading into maybe, the class consciousness yeah. thing just the idea like as you said of like a, a some a person who has lived high on the hog for his whole life being forced to come to terms with what the people beneath him were going through in a yeah. real like visceral way is just an interesting thing yeah, that the movie with. also doesn't really lean into. Yeah, not interested, because... not even remotely interested in that. In fact, yeah. he's still surrounded by the rabble, right? right. Like, right. What, what triggers his PTSD is like visions of that rabble transposed on the people he, yeah, is co-working with when, now. When he has the vision of the troops coming over the line into the, uh, into the the uh, the trench, I would. I would have loved for the movie to have leaned more into that sort of thing happening to him right. more. Yeah, uh, I mean, the trench fills up with all the screaming proletariat, and, like, yeah. it just makes him go... Like, he just... Yeah, it just doesn't talk about it. Yeah. It's... Yeah. This this was a movie that could have been a lot more fascinating in what it wanted to talk about, but Sternberg was not interested in making it fascinating in that manner, which is fine. It's still a beautiful movie. Uh, visually, but it's not it's not one I am ever going to feel compelled to revisit. Uh-uh. No, no, not at all. No, I mean I have a decent sense for like the Sternberg style, like mentally, like I have like a as a point of reference going forward. But like from a, from a storytelling perspective, like whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh. Proud, majestic, and haughty. Um, yeah, I mean, there are, there were frequent moments throughout my notes where I literally wrote, how much irony is being applied here? Because sometimes it anyone. feels like they're being pretty ironic. Uh, and then other are. times it's definitely not. It's just, yeah. Like the the Russian soldiers are no better than the extras we see that are playing these Russian soldiers in the film within the film. They're berated by their superiors. They're shoved into cattle cars. They're fed, fed gruel and just sent to the front lines to die. Like, I don't, yeah, it's just, 
the movie almost purposely lacks class consciousness, like on yeah. purpose. Yeah. It's it's it is a wild ride in that sense that like a movie that like all the cards are like on the table and it's like, well, we're just not gonna pick up any of these cards. They're all being left on this table. <laughs> Uh, and again, presumably, like the thing that would get this movie made in the first place is like, you know, picked up as a script at all would be the fact that like it's an in an interesting story to tell, but they've yeah. they've stripped out the interestingness out of it and replaced it with something right. else. They stripped uh, the interestingness out of it and and made it a place for Emil to make faces, which are good faces. He's making good faces, yeah. but that's really all it is. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's just disappointing. Um, and uh, at least you know, yeah, a visually stunning, a visually exciting disappointment is basically yeah. what it amounts to. Uh, it's. I wonder if chronologically, because this this came out in 1928, the same year as the Last Command. I wonder if this actually came out before the Last Command or not. Oh no! This is the last. Or the, or the, talking about, this, um, I'm sorry. The same year as Docs of New York. Um, no, almost certainly not. This came out. This one came out in January of 1928. Docs of New York did not premiere before this one. If it came out right, the third right. week of January. Uh, so yeah, it is. It is chronological. I don't know. Occasionally, occasionally, in the past, a three film box set has. Uh, changed chronology in order to give us the worst movie as the center movie. That as is if true. It's expecting that is true. us to watch them. I in I'm order. just starting to get the impression that perhaps like because of what we've talked about with Sternberg, he's not that concerned with the plots or stories of his movies. Yeah, he's so not. therefore, and he's trying to do visual art. So like therefore like whether his movie is story-wise good or bad is almost entirely dependent on like whatever script they handed it to him it's you know like this is the one you're doing now and like it could be a garbage script it could be a real good one like it's up in the air we've been talking about the last command it's kind of disappointing uh you know mostly because it's it is uh, a movie that is apolitical in a way that makes it political in a different way uh and yeah, it's just bad for doing that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't like it uh, plot-wise, but still, again, visually great and acted well. Uh, and whatever we do with that, this gets thrown into that category. So next week, as I said earlier, we will be doing our holiday special. So we very much look forward to gathering some friends around and enjoying some hot cocoa and watching a movie that yeah, takes our, place. Our Yule Log film where we, yeah. I guess, I don't know, we'll light the film on fire. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe we'll watch a movie that deserves to be lit on fire. Who can say? That <laughs> definitely seems like it's possible. Yeah. Um, and then the week after that, we will do our 10th anniversary special where we are revisiting one of the first 100 Criterion films as voted on by our Patreon supporters. So join up the Patreon if you want to get in on that. Uh, but the episode will be released publicly as the first of the new year. And then we'll come back after that for the final film of our Sternberg box set, the docks of New York, also from 1928. 
Oh, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, Lee Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oritari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter, at TheAdamGlass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at JPatrickDorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at JonathanHape.BandCamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening. <laughs>